Welcome to Crafting a Living. In today's show, I chat to Graham Bird. Graham has worked in corporate businesses most of his life. He's uh, managed to exit out of one of the businesses quite successfully and uh, raised a bit of money. And he tells us how he did that and how he and his partner, Andre, started Poison City Brewing. He tells us about his surfing hobby or lifestyle and how they plan to take Poison City global, I think. So let's welcome Graham Bird. With me today is Graham Bird. Welcome, Graham. Thanks, Holger. Graham is now one of the partners of Poison City Brewing, um, but it didn't. He's, he hasn't always been in brewing. So let's let's dig a little bit and get your story. We think it's all about surfing, but can you surf for a living? <laughs> I wish I could, and I would if I could. I promise you. But uh, yeah, no, I'm a passionate surfer, that's for sure. It's probably the thing that I, I most love. Um, obviously, other than my family, which is always a, a resource challenge. But um, yeah, I love surfing. But as far as work goes, um, I, I come from a sort of a corporate background. I did okay. a building science degree, University of what was then Natal, now KwaZulu Natal. Um, and worked for a lot of years sort of building my career in, in the services sector predominantly, okay. um, which culminated in a role with a large cleaning company of all businesses, um, but large in that we employed over 20,000 people. Wow. And I became a shareholder and a director of the company, um, and I ran the KwaZulu-Natal division of the business. How does one become a shareholder and a director of a, of a big company like that? Did you um, have to buy in or was it because you were running the branch? No, I bought in. So okay. it was like a lot of things in life. Um, you have to be in the right place at the right time. Um, I'd actually been working for a, a national company called Servest. It's a listed um, or it was then a listed company, but a very large services company. Um, spending a lot of time in Johannesburg. Um, and really searching for an opportunity to be more more based in Durban. And these guys were looking for somebody. Um, a regional director had left. And I joined them at the time that there was a management buyout about to happen. So I was fortunate to get that opportunity mm. just right at, at the right time. Um, and ended up being there for a long time, for 10 years. Um, and then, and I loved it. It was great. Of all things, cleaning, it sounds kind of basic but it was a very exciting business and um, it was a large business so it gave me access to a lot of interesting people and opportunities but the really interesting part was when we sold the business to a global company called the Compass Group okay. the world's largest food services yeah. business and um, Compass besides focusing on food also have a lot of support service businesses so they wanted Supercare to, to increase their capacity in South Africa in the services sector and that gave me the opportunity to realize my investment in Supercare. Um, and they also gave me an opportunity in the new compass structure um, for a pretty exciting role. Although I'd spotted this interview on, I think it was a CNN channel, with one of the MDs of one of the global beer businesses. And they were talking craft beer. And they were talking about how craft beer, how well it's doing and how it's impacting on beer sales 
for for large corporate beers, commercial beers. And I was like, shit, that's exciting. And I'd already I knew um, Rui Estevez and Brad Armitage from An Union, both mm-hmm. being Durban guys, and was around when they first launched um, Brewers and Union in those days. And well, that must be five. How many years ago? Probably twelve years. Twelve ago. years. Yeah. Okay. And they, I mean, they were definitely no matter who says it, they started the craft beer movement in South Africa. Um, those guys are amazing. And I remember I went to Society, which was a place in Florida Road, and Brad did a beer food pairing event. And it was the first time that I kind of recognized that beer can be seen as an exceptional product. Okay. Um, and you and you saw this in terms of comp, of, of of the Compass Group, or as in as, as so that was years before, yeah. but. What Brad did is he he made me realize that beer and and I, I like beer but I love wine okay. and and good spirits um, and I really have appreciation for good wine. This is the first time I realized you could drink beer like you drink wine. You know you can actually choose a particular product that gives you a unique experience rather than just clap a six pack while yeah. you watch the rugby and. Um, and I, by the time I saw the CNN interview, I, I don't drink any commercial beer. And this was before I even considered becoming involved in beer, just by preference and taste. Um, I like the imported and the local beers, craft beers. And when I saw this interview and recognized the opportunity in craft beer, it got me thinking about, shit, that sounds like a great industry to be in. I mean, it's a little bit kind of left-wing, uh, anti-establishment. And, a little bit and like a surfer cleaner guy. It's Yeah, look, although I was in a corporate, I w- I've always been sort of odd person out because my colleagues have always been the corporate kind of people, and I've never really been like that. I've been more of like a punk surfer. Yeah, you certainly <laughs> don't look like a corporate. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of people say, always used to question, like, what the hell am I doing in that corporate space? But it worked for me. Um, mm. And beer, I thought, shit, that's a great space to be in. That's that's less corporate and more exciting, and and an opportunity to kind of live what I really believe in. Mm. Um, so, what happened is when when Compass acquired us, and I got realized the return on my investment in the business um, from the company I was working for, I thought I'm going to start a craft beer business. This and is the thing you, to did, do. Did you make a lot of money? Uh, a fair amount, not enough to retire. That's for okay. damn sure. <laughs> I wish. And not enough to buy a brewery, or could you buy a brewery? No, we. Well, it depends how big the brewery how big is. The brewery yeah. is yeah. <laughs> and did you talk about Roy and uh, Brad? Can you remember the La Muerte tequila? Uh, I remember the tequila that they did, uh, but yeah, I, I like tequila, but I've never been a huge fan. Okay. Yeah, they they certainly. I mean, I'm I'm also a very very proud fan of what they've done and achieved with Brewers in Union and and especially the the little what what do you call it the restaurant or, or cafe in Cape Town which they used to have yeah. and Union was a I mean it was a a, a big attraction for me yeah. certainly when I went to Cape Town I always wanted to make sure to go and have a beer or meet somebody there rather than anywhere else um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about the surfing, the whole, or, or, I mean, we always assume everybody in, in Durban surfs, but if you live in Kloof, less so, where did you grow up? So I kind of, I guess I was fortunate in a way, I come from a family with deep roots 
in the beach lifestyle. Yeah. My my uncle David Ross, who's now 82, was one of the first surfers in Durban, uh, and this was at a time, you know, back in the 60s, 50s when there was no such thing as um, surf manufacturers or okay. clothing or anything like that. And David was one of the pioneers, the guys who, I remember he made his first surfboard in my grandparents' flat on the Durban beachfront, like literally craftsmen who had to yeah. make their own products. And um, that same flat, which is in Beechhurst, just behind Durban Surf on the Durban beachfront, um, my grandparents lived in for over 50 years. So as a kid growing up, I, that's where I spent all my weekends, okay. and I pretty that's much a, lived. Not North Beach, eh? Yeah, at North Beach, North Beach. At North Beach, and I was the envy of all my surfing friends because they would have all have hitched down from whatever Kloof, Westville, or yeah. at least from the Brea, and they'd all be like scavenging around the beachfront, living on chips and and bread, and I'd be at my grandparents' flat, getting <laughs> fed up great food. So in the end, we had actually I had about twenty of my friends who left their surfboard in my grandparents' flat. Wow. Many great surfers, like really famous Durban surfers. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was the, sort of the beginning of my roots in, in terms of Durban and surfing. And it's something that I've, yeah, I've lived what, for. What age were you then? Yeah, from, I've been in the water surfing since the age of probably about 10. Okay. Um, and subsequently traveled the world um, to all over the world. And still regularly, like in less than a month's time, I'm going to Java, to the tip of Java, to a very remote place called Grudgigan Bay or as surfers call it G-Land which is regarded as the best wave in the world um, it's a place I've been to often before and I go to lots of places like that I, I live for that, it's, it's awesome so yeah surfing is great and I, and I, I, I like the non-conformist attitude of surfers of the past mm. I hate the commercial kind of vision of a surfer and I, I think as an individual, it kind of allows you to live outside of the norm of life. Um, and, and the experience, it's not a sport. I mean, golf is a sport. Tennis is a sport. Surfing, you, you live it. You, you wake up every day of your life looking at what the conditions are today. Yeah. In fact, nowadays with modern um, forecasting, weather forecasting, you know weeks in advance what every day is going to be like. So can you plan your, your trips around the weather? Absolutely, okay. and, and you do, yeah. Okay. The unfortunate thing is I'm working so damn hard on Poison City <laughs> that <laughs> my time in the surf has gone down dramatically in the last year and a half. Yeah. So, and, and, okay, so how long did you work with Compass? The, the Not long at all. I mean, I, I went from being sort of an executive director at the upper echelon of management in our company to being a small cog in a massive machine. I mean, Compass employs over 500,000 people globally. Yeah. And, um, and everything changed. You know, suddenly we became a piece of cheese that could be moved around. <laughs> and decisions are taken at a global and a sub-global level that affected me and my staff. I mean, the worst thing was, and we had a great team, a really successful business, and the global business decided, no, they were going to um, centralize. And it's a common thing with acquisitions, yeah. you know, move everything to Joburg and run sort of satellite offices. And I remember having to retrench 20 of my staff, some of whom had worked for the company for 35 years. Wow. Had only, some of them had only ever worked for the company. And we were a business that was achieving massive um, success in terms of growth, profit. 
how do you justify to someone who's worked for you for 30 or worked for the company long before I got yeah. there to say, oh, you know, we're doing really well, but um, sorry, you're being retrenched because we're re- restructuring. And that kind of heartless approach of corporates was something that really rubbed up against me. Um, and it, it certainly didn't make me feel motivated to carry on being there. Okay. But it was still exciting. It was exciting projects. Actually, um, the last big project I ran, which was something that I helped actually initiate, was the outsourcing of the entire Netcare catering requirements. So at every Netcare hospital, of which there are 48 in South Africa, mm-hmm. We took over the catering responsibilities at the hospitals. So not only cleaning, it's also um, We did a lot of the cleaning, but because Compass is food, my yeah. particular responsibility there was uh, essentially to, to bed that contract okay. down, um, which is the largest outsourced catering contract in the history of South Africa. Wow. It was, and I kind of took that on. After I'd already decided I was starting Poison City. In fact, we'd already okay. started the branding work on Poison City. And when was that? When did you start that? That Can was probably remember? four years ago. Wow. Um, so long before we actually took the brand to market. Yeah. Um, and did you have a partner right from the beginning? So, yeah, I drove it myself with the idea. And then I approached a good friend and restauranteur, Andre Schubert, um, Famous for starting Cafe 99. Uh, He was involved in the original Havana Grill with Martin Lombard. And later started Market Restaurant. Um, He also owned the KZN Art, what was it called? Arts Cafe in Glenwood. And Andre and I go back a long time. We we were at university together and we traveled a lot together. both you of studied, us. Where did you say you studied at Durban? We both Boston. studied at Durban, at yeah. the university in Durban. Okay. Um, and Andre is one of the most passionate people mm. on the planet. Um, and I saw that in him. And also, obviously, his his passion for food and drink and beer, um, but also his contacts and, and knowledge of the hospitality space and cuisine and all. So for me, Andre was a, a great partner. Um, and yeah, we we started this thing together. Okay. Um, we yeah. So initially, it was it was doing the the sort of the development of the concept of the brand and and the key part of our brand is about the story. Um, I think it's like we legitimately want to be the craft beer brand that represents Durban, mm-hmm. and we think Durban is a place we live in. You live in Durban, Holger. You've also worked outside of Durban and yet we keep coming back to Durban um, because Durban's got something special about it and there's a funny a funny story a friend of mine who's a <clears throat> he's actually a philosophy professor at the University of California um, but also happens to be a, a writer he's written a couple of bestseller books and I asked him we went on a, a research tour to the States to check out the craft beer industry and we stayed with him in, in um, he lives near Newport Beach and I, I said to him, we, we want to, this is the story, we, trying to, we want to create a brand representative of Durban. And he wrote this little piece about Durban. And he comes, he visits me often because he's, he's a passionate surfer as well. And he said, amongst the iconic South African cities, Durban is the ugly sister, less beautiful mm-hmm. than Cape Town and poorer than Johannesburg. But this edgy industrial city near the beach and by the country is in her own way beautiful. Amongst the sisters, she's the keeper. <laughs> and that's kind of what as Durbanites we know yeah, because we, know we live that. here. We realize the lifestyle and we realize that it, we don't have to be the most 
aesthetically beautiful city nor the city with the most money to really love it. And and I think those characters of Durban actually create a brilliant kind of representation of um, of a lifestyle. Yeah. And and I thought Poison City is what a lot of people call Durban yeah. uh, because, like it or not, the most famous thing about Durban in the world is Durban Poison. Not the surf. The surf comes close because Durban's had a, a massive history in surfing. Uh, in terms of the global growth of surfing, um, Durban's played a very important part, including Sean Thompson, who was one mm-hmm. of the first world champions coming from Durban, and many other great surfers coming from Durban, like Grant Twiggy Baker, the world big wave champion, who's actually one of our ambassadors, and Geordie Smith now, who's um, from Durban, and he's currently the second highest ranked surfer in the world. So Durban has a lot of history in surfing as well. And those are the two things that make Durban mm. globally famous. And we thought... Not, not the fact that it's got the biggest harbour in Africa or... No, it, you know, you, you ask someone in in New Zealand or in Belgium or whatever, have you heard of Durban? They won't know of Durban because of the harbour. They'll know of Durban if they've <laughs> sure heard do. of Durban Poison. <laughs> and if it's in Australia, it won't be because of the harbour. It'll be because of surfing yeah. or in America. So, yeah, I mean... Obviously, the harbour is a big part of why Durban <laughs> is here. But from a global perspective, I think, yeah, those two aspects of Durban are things. Yeah. And, and they're things that um, we think are, are really cool parts of Durban. So we built the brand around around that sort of thinking. And, and then coming back to what I said about the ugly sister and why we love Durban, I think that people in Durban, because they – they don't have the opportunity to make as much money. They don't have the commercial kind of pressures. Um, they can afford to be a bit more authentic. And and I think what what we saw is the opportunity to create a brand that has that authenticity, that kind of talks to the character of the city. Mm. And we think the character of those cities with that, yes, edgy representation to Durban Poison and surfing, which is also a counterculture, created a great position for for our brand mm. and and ultimately we we want a brand that makes durban proud that people of durban love and support and we want to actually take it out of durban we want that we want this brand to be a national brand and and yes this sounds kind of ambitious at this stage we've only been on the market for a year and a half but we've got global aspirations we think that our brand and our beer has got something that's got the opportunity to potentially have a success outside of South Africa. Yeah, let's, I mean, if we think of other Durban brands, and maybe you're closer to to the industry, like Mr. Price, for example, or the whole the whole infrastructure around Mr. 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 Price. I mean, somebody once said to me that Mr. Price has made more millionaires in Durban than anything else. And I think that's but it's also a little subculture of Durban, isn't it? Yeah, look, there are... Uh, How many of your friends supply Mr. Price? I know a lot of friends that have have done well out of relationships yeah. with Mr. Price. I mean, Toyota is is even Isn't bigger. Yeah. I, I, I was a supplier in my previous life to, to Toyota. And Toyota have a national conference every year for all their service providers. Yeah. And there are literally hundreds of businesses that have done well just out of that single brand in Durban. Yeah. And let's think of anything else. I mean, I'm thinking um, the Sharks, for example. 
I mean, that's quite a Durban, quite a strong brand. And I yeah. think everywhere in Joburg, there's, there's, wherever you drive, there's a there's a car with a shark sticker, isn't it? More more shark supporters in Joburg than in. Well, maybe not now. The lions <laughs> are doing really well. The lions are doing well, yeah. 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 No, the, you can see. I mean, that's a good example. Is the Shark Supporter Club mm. of how this kind of passion for Durban extends beyond Durban itself. Yeah. Um, and and you, you or Andre once said to me that when you were young and travelling, people knew South Africa for for Durban poison, and uh, it's changed a little bit. We now they know us, they think of us as the place where Mandela comes from. But you want to change that, right? Well, South Africa is the place where Mandela comes from. <laughs> the closest Durban link is he is arrested outside of Durban yeah. or in the Midlands. But no, I mean Durban poison is directly from Durban. <laughs> it was funny, I was uh, at a shareholders meeting the other day talking about it and I said everyone knows Durban and one of our funders said, you know what, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's obviously the people you mix with, Graham. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> For me it was also, I mean, we, you know, it, it, I mean, it's always been something but it's never, the, the culture has never been so strong or I'm, I've never been so aware of it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And so tell us a little bit about the start. You started, you said, four years ago, and it took you a while to develop the brand, which I, which I really like and respect. I, I preferred when people start with a brand and the concept. I often see brewers that make beer, and then they, once the beer is ready and in bottles, they phone me and they say, okay, how do I do this now? What do I do next? Yeah, I think, you know, craft beer... <clears throat> It's not difficult to make beer, and you don't need a huge amount of capital to create a product and put it in a bottle with mm. a pretty label. Um, and and I think I see the motivation as to why a lot of people who are passionate about beer are interested in creating a label, but it, there's a hell of a lot more to it than that. And I, maybe it's an advantage that I've had experience in the corporate world and in big business, and I realize how much effort goes into creating something that's sustainable. And that's that's really, um, I think, been an important part of our what we've achieved so far, is is doing things properly, like really focusing on 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 every little detail. And and you cannot have a successful brand unless you have a real, genuine, authentic story behind your brand. Mm. Um, you can put your product out there because um, you've got the money to create the product, but if there's no attraction for people to want to support your product and price is not enough of an attraction, no. then it's not going to fly. And, um, yeah, we put a lot of focus on kind of developing the ethos behind the brand, some of which I've spoken about already, and the brand imagery. And I think our brand imagery is kick-ass. Mm. I mean, I think we could stop making beer and just create T-shirts and I make think enough so, yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, for me, surfing is, for me, the clothing industry. Yeah. For you, surfing is surfing, yeah. and I've never I've tried to surf, but I'm I'm not a surfer, and I don't wake up in the morning wanting to surf. But if you say surf, I think of garments, yeah, and I think yeah, I think you could pull it off. But we're not going to yeah. our, our clothing. I, I I get honestly, I get emails from people every couple of days, Facebook requests, Instagram emails, whatever. Like, where can we get your clothes from? Because everyone wants that Poison City brand, yeah. uh, whether it's on a T-shirt or on one of our caps, and. 
our goal is not to create a brand that's about clothing. I've had people approach us to say, oh, I can make you thousands of those T-shirts. You know, it can be like mm. the Bintang. If everyone goes to Bali, it's a Bintang T-shirt. Poison City can be the Bintang of Durban. Yeah. That's not our goal. We're not a brand that wants to be mass publicized. We, we want to create something that has like genuine authenticity. So yeah, we only sell our T-shirts and, and hats at, at Holmes Brothers. And Holmes Brothers is another very proudly Durban business. Yeah. I know Laurie and Gary really well. Um, and they started in 1994 in Durban um, with their brand. And they, they pretty much exclusively sell through their stores, which they now have a store in Cape Town, Joburg, and a couple of in Durban. Um, new ones just open in Hillcrest. And that's the only place that we provide our stuff through. So it's kind of an, a, brand, a brand association with another proudly Durban brand. Okay. And it's we want to keep it exclusive they're high quality products they're not cheap shitty t-shirts which are printed at mass and that they're going to shrink or misshape or fall apart mm. they and they homes brothers aren't scared to charge but yeah. you get good quality product okay. from them and that's kind of associated to what we want to represent for yeah. our brand okay so you've created the brand and then what's the first step when you you're not the first guy to start a beer brand without a brewery, but you did it differently, I think. Yeah, well, I think pretty much everyone does it the way we've done it. I mean, if you look at any of our competitors, um, it's the route that they follow. There are one or two that haven't, um, and that's probably associated to their access to capital because the thing about, about beer is you've got to sell a hell of a lot of beer to make a buck. Yeah. And... Um, there's no real points in in building a brewery which costs you it's never going to cost you less than a couple of million rand yeah. um, to only be able to produce enough beer to make yourself a couple of thousand rand a month <laughs> if you want to build a brand and the only way to do it is if you brew at at significant scale yeah. and when you're brewing at significant scale you're talking about a brewery in the region of 40 to 50 to 100 million rand and I think for any new business which doesn't have substantial backing behind it, um, it's it's suicide to go and spend that sort of money. Otherwise, you spend a little bit of money, which you waste because you've got to build another brewery in a year's time and another brewery in a year's time after that. So we most certainly are building a brewery, but when the time is right for yeah. our brand. Yeah. So, which is, I think, the extreme opposite would be if you if you listen to the podcast or the interview with Peter Dean where they really started Nottingham Road Brewery because SAB wouldn't supply Rawdon's Hotel with draft. And they started a 40 or 50 litre brewery yeah. to supply the hotel. And after 21 years, they're still going. But that's a, I mean, that's not how you build a brand nowadays. Okay, so you, tell us a little bit about how, uh, how you started the whole making the beer and because i think it's quite an interesting story i don't know how much you want to share sure no no um, problem it's been it has been fun and exciting so the first was through a friend i found out about a guy called jeff barnes who's down the south coast um who's a passionate home brewer okay. and we said to jeff come can we we've got an idea for a beer can we work with you to brew it and he literally dusted off his equipment which i don't think he had used for about four years and we brewed in his sort of back garage on the south coast in KwaZulu-Natal. And, yeah, I was like, my God, look at the hygiene associated to this. Like, how is this how it works? Um, but we brewed a batch of, of lager, and it came out 
brilliantly. It like really tasted nice, and my friends loved it. It was an easy drinking beer, and I mean I'm really into the stronger, more hoppy beers myself. But Jeff always said to us, "There's no point in making a beer unless people can drink it." And I yeah. think it was a valuable lesson from Jeff. Um, and that was our first beer, brewed just three, three and a half years ago now. Um, but it gave us the motivation to realize we can make a beer that people can drink. Um, and then we went to, we've got a good close relationship with um, Sean Roberts and Paul Tenenboer from mm-hmm. that brewing company. Andre, in fact, uh, employed Sean as a waiter at the beginning of his kind of hospitality career and later sold Cafe 99 to Sean. Um, so they have a very long relationship. And Paul, who Sean um, teamed up with to create that brewing, um, had created their own brewery in what is now S43. And we started talking to them about the potential of them brewing for us. Um, And I think, you know, fortunately, I think largely because of Andre's relationship with Sean, um, they're obliged. Because, I I mean, their their model is completely different. They just want to make enough beer for for the little restaurant or the, the yeah, tap room, isn't yeah. it? Look, they do distribute uh, to other outlets in Durban, but, but yes, it's a different scale, <laughs> it's a different scale yeah. operation. But Paul is possibly the best brewer in KwaZulu-Natal. I think so. Um, he's certainly amazingly passionate about, about brewing beer, and I think some of his beers are fantastic. Yeah. Um, and... We yeah, and but we wanted a lager, okay, and because we had learned from Jeff, we don't want to go to market with a beer that only one in a thousand beer drinkers mm-hmm. drink. And I think a lot of craft beer um, products or brands make that mistake. They make beer that they love drinking, yeah. and that's not necessarily beer that people out there want to drink. And the same case with Paul, he doesn't make a lager because he's a craft brewer, and craft yeah. brewers only brew ales. Or yeah, but not lagers. And so it was I think one of the first lagers certainly at scale that Paul had brewed. And it was a long process. I mean we had a very distinctive idea about the type of beer that we wanted. Um Which was what? It, it's a German style lager. Mm-hmm. Um we wanted a beer that had something unique to it because if it's gonna be a lager and it's a craft lager, it's gotta be different to a commercial lager. It can't taste like Heineken. Mm. Can't taste like uh, Castle Light. And and I think we've hit it right with Paul in that we made a beer that's a lager, but it's unique. It's It's got something different about it. Um, and it's not for everyone's taste, and that's fine, and that's the way it should be. But it certainly is for enough people's tastes. And in fact, the, the enough people's tastes include some very revered beer palates in South Africa. Because what we did is when we thought we had the beer right, I just by I'd, – I'd met Peter Vizelli – who at the time was chief brewer for SAB. And um, I said to Peter, um, I'd love him to give us an opinion on this beer because we, we think we're ready to take it to the market, but we, we'd like an opinion on it. And we actually arranged for Peter and his trade brewers from across the country, um, including uh, like Russell Hunt from Durban, who's, yeah. who's really the trade brewer who represents beer in a way in Durban. And, I didn't uh, realize Russell was a brewer. Trade brewer. Okay. Yeah. So trade brewers are people that work within the large breweries who kind of represent the brand out there. And they're very knowledgeable about beer. Um, And so it wasn't just him. It was the trade brewers from the rest of the country as well, including what Peter said are some of the best 
beer tasters in South Africa. Like, and he's Peter is a guy with enormous capability who's worked globally in the beer industry. And we sat down with these guys. Ben Lemeleki was at the meeting as well, who was the kind of the trade brewer before Russell, um, who's quite a legend in the craft brewing industry around Kuzilla Natal and nationally. And we had this team of these kind of illustrious beer people and um, we gave them our beer and we were shitting ourselves like what are they going to say <laughs> and um, and they loved it yeah. they really loved it um, and we realized that we had the right beer if we can get people like that who, mm. who recognize that the beer's got commercial applicability but also uniqueness we knew we had the right beer okay. and that was the bird lager named partially after me um, and but also partially about We've got a, an image of an angry seagull on our logo, and seagulls are synonymous with Durban. It's a coastal bird, so it's a little bit of both. Um, and that was where the bird lager started, which was our first beer. Okay. Um, and then we started working um, with the guys from Toti, Jason, um, who we think makes an incredible IPA and pale it does, eh? And we, we had the idea for a beer, this time a traditional English-style um, pale ale, um, like traditional to the point that it has the same ingredients that traditional English pale ales have, but obviously brewed with our own tastes and perspectives in mind. Uh, East Ken Golding hops the Lutsky, and we, we brewed this with Jason, and he made a brilliant beer, which we love, and we call it the Punk Rocker. Um, and... I guess like the bird lager, it's a fairly drinkable pale mm. ale. And I think that's important as well because, yeah. again, you want to make a pale ale that's, that's too um, complex. You're not going to attract a lot of people to it. Yeah. And I think our beer is an exceptional beer. It gets fantastic ratings on and Untapped, which is a, a completely uh, open forum for comments where people can say they love your beer or hate your beer. And it comes up with a rating just below four overall, which is really good. I mean, higher than brands like Heineken and higher yeah. than a lot of craft beer brands as well. And that was our second beer. Okay. Um, and then our third beer, which we brewed with Sean Standeven um, from Standeven in Durban. So we worked a lot with local brewers. And I think Sean is also definitely at the top echelon of local brewers in Kuzila Natal, in our hometown. And we wanted a, a Weiss beer, but eventually we decided we wanted to do a Belgian Vit um, because it's more unique. And we brewed a Belgian Vit, which we call the Kif, which is, we've only done it at very small scale, so we haven't really taken it to market properly. We did a few bottles. We'll be doing more in the future. Uh, and then the last beer we did, which is the most exciting the of all of them. you just launching now. Just launched it. It's called The Other Bird. Uh, it's got a great label. I hope you've seen it. I hope you've seen Andre's <laughs> hand on it. <laughs> exactly. And so it's Andre's hand flipping the bird. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically, it's an interesting concept. So the beer itself is brewed by Peter's dad, Ladislav Vazeli. Okay. And Ladislav is based in Prague. He's only ever brewed in small craft breweries in Prague. He he brewed in a brewery that was 400 years old. Um and he's a guy that has got a lot of credibility. He, in 2016, he won the Czech Craft Beer Awards, top brewer, and he's done that before. So he's, he's really, he's, he's at the top echelon of international craft brewers. 
but he's never brewed at massive scale, only in that scale. Does he own his own brands or does he work? Yeah, okay. he does in, in Prague. He did work for another small brewery, but he's now got his own brand in Prague. And um, we always had earmarked a dark lager as our fourth beer. And, um, and Czech dark lager is a really famous style of dark lager. And we, we somehow convinced Ladislav to brew for us. And we actually brewed it in Prague. Um, and then he would send samples to us and we would taste it in South Africa and feed back to him. And, mm. and we, we finalized the brewery, the brew cross, cross country like that. Um, and we finally came out with what we call the other bird, which is basically saying this is a, we think it's one of the best craft beers in South Africa and you've got to taste it to give your own opinion. Lucy Corne has just rated it four out of five. I saw that, yeah. I think she was unfair to us. She said, and the one thing that definitely affected her her rating was she said that it didn't give her a good head. And I've never poured that beer without it giving a good, creamy, beige head. And I, I don't know why the beer she poured didn't. But I, look, Lucy's great, and we're really appreciative of her support. And four out of five is still a damn good rating. Um, and But we think it's more of a five out of five ourselves. <laughs> It is an exceptional beer made by an exceptional brewer, and it tastes brilliant. And it's got edgy logo, uh, edgy labeling. And basically what it's saying is that screw you if you don't take beer seriously, because this is a beer that deserves to be taken seriously. Um, And as Lucy said in in her recent review, which was a few days ago, that she sees this as becoming one of the top beers, selling beers in South Africa. Because it's a beer that's, you know, the thing about a dark lager as opposed to styles of ale is that a lager is always more drinkable than an ale. Um, But a dark lager is far more complex than a typical lager. So it allows itself to, um, to be interesting to people that are interested in complex, interesting Mm. ales and yet still drink a lager. And you can drink more of it because it's a lager and it's more drinkable than an ale. So you can easily drink six of those if you're a proper beer drinker, yeah. like you like drinking a lot of beer, as opposed to if you're trying to drink a strong IPA like the Devil's Peak IPA Blockhouse, which is a brilliant beer, you'd struggle to put more of, a, more of, more of two of those down. Yeah. But with our lager, our other beer, oh, sorry, the other bird, I think anyone can drink. If they're a beer drinker, they can knock back six to eight of those and they'll still be going strong. They'll be, they'll be fine. So the interesting thing is you mentioned the Blockhouse. Now, for me, Devil's Peak is known for the Blockhouse. And it, I mean, they make great lagers, but everybody knows the Blockhouse. And, and that's, like you say, is a beer that isn't consumed at, at big volumes. It can be a problem for a brewery. Yeah, so we, from the beginning, we, instead of making these complex award-winning beers, we want to make great beers that everyone can drink. So you sound a little bit like um, Rich Dad, you know what he says? (laughs) He says, I don't want to sell award-winning books, I want to sell best-selling books. (laughs) Look, we do have the super complex beer, we want to do an Imperial Pale Ale next. Uh, so essentially we're talking about a triple hoft, like heavy malted beer with 8 9% alcohol, which you are only going to drink one or two of. And um, where are you going to brew that? Uh, we haven't got that far yet. <laughs> and the Kif, you brewed the Kif, that was Sean? Sean, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And tell us a little bit about the journey of um, 
raising capital and taking on partners in your business. I think that's very interesting. And, and obviously, your experience as a, in the corporate world helped you with that. Um, is there a story to that? Sure. No. I mean, look, I although I had capital to invest in the brand myself, um, you know, you look at brands like Jack Black, CBC, yeah. Darling. Devil's Peak. And they, they're big brands with a lot of a lot of capital behind them. All now have invested into breweries yeah. in the region of forty million rand or thereabouts upwards, um, and that's that's a hell of a lot of money. And you know, although I, I managed to secure some returns out of when we sold our business, not enough to go and build a brewery yeah. of that scale and take okay. that degree of risk on 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 a capital expenditure so uh, from the beginning i realized if if we're going to go at scale which we want to the only way we're going to do it is to raise capital and um we were really fortunate to to come across um a guy called murray collins who's a uh, very successful businessman in durban who who loves our brand um he has a private equity business associated to his main business, which we're looking at it, but they actually decided they weren't interested in it. Mm. But Murray liked us enough to, to stay interested. And, and what Are they in the steel? No, con- um, property development. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the private equity business has, has varied investments okay. in different businesses. Um, but so what Murray said to us is he likes our brand, he likes our passion, he believes in us, and he, he wants to support a Durban-based brand, being a Durban-based um, person. And he said he wants to tell a few of his friends about it and and see if the right people he knows would be interested in the brand. And if they were as well, then he would be prepared to to back it. And and that's what happened. I mean, he essentially introduced it to a few similarly in very successful locally-based people, Durban-based people, who who have a hell of a lot to offer. And um, and they they all came on board. Um, so we've got a a group of funders now who who basically represent. We have two CEOs of listed companies on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. We've got a bank behind us. We've got a guy who is one of the Directors of Braid Capital, which is one of the biggest um, private equity listed private equity businesses in South Africa, and we've got a wealth of knowledge of um, both the retail space and the marketing space and the business space behind us, and and obviously also access to capital now, which has been I think incredibly important mm. um, for us to be able to develop the brand with the way we want to develop it and. The worst thing you can do out there is to create a brand, put it out to market, and not have the resources to back your brand up. Um, number one, if you're brewing in a small brewery and you're not able to produce the volume required to meet the demand, all you're going to do is upset people because they create their own demand around their business, around your brand, and then you can't supply them. And then they're sitting there with empty shelves or an empty tap losing losing yeah. revenue, which is insane. And all you're going to do is upset people if you can't, give them the production they require. And the other thing is support, sales support. I mean, we were privileged to meet Kevin Hedewick the other day, who's probably one of the most well-known personalities, business people in South Africa in the sort of the brand and hospitality space, CEO of famous brands. Mm -hmm. Um, And Kevin taught us some very valuable lessons, which is kiss your customers till their lips bleed and he said if you don't have the resources to back your brand don't take your brand to market 
because and Kevin has a long history in different businesses, including SAB. I remember him working for SAB, I think, for the draft business. And he explained, I think it was um, how Peroni was taken to market and how it didn't have enough support yeah. and how damaging that was for the brand. Um, and we took a lot of lessons and notes when we spoke to Kevin okay. and um, and we don't want to make that mistake. And fortunately, with with the way we've structured the business, we've got access to the resources to be able to go out there and do it properly. Mm. One thing that surprised me or... I mean, by nature, I'm I, I'm a networker and I talk to a lot of people and I think I know a lot of people. When I first met you, I got the impression that you'd been to more breweries than I'd been to and that you knew more, more people than I did, which, I mean, you just got on your horse and went to visit people. You didn't, you weren't embarrassed to ask. No, and, and there's there's a great, look, it's competitive in the local is, industry, yeah. but people, there's some great people out there. I mean, people like Kevin Wood from Darling. Mm a really sincere nice man and um yeah obviously we know we knew Rui and brad and that was a great intro to them but ross mccullough from jack black was similarly receptive and open the guys from devil's peak um everybody like everybody uh, we, we've had a lot of interaction with grand rashmere from striped horse yeah. um good people who are open to discussing the craft beer sector, yeah. yes. Obviously, everybody has their own objectives in terms of growing and being successful in their own brand. But certainly, it seems like a great space to be in. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned Grand Rashmi. I mean, he, he also backs or sponsors this, some surfing events. Is that is that the big competition? No, not really. So, Grant is the guy who also created the Boss Ice Tea yeah. brand. Um, and he realized with Boss Ice Tea, or well, I'm sure he realized before that, but he realized the value and power of surfing. And with Boss, he, he used surfing quite strongly okay. in terms of the promotion of Boss. And in fact, sponsored Grant Twiggy Baker, who's a world big wave surfing champion who we do now as well. So, when he started Striped Horse, um, I assume he, he saw the value in that as well yeah. and he associated to surfing with striped horse as well. So yeah. But um yeah, and he's a great guy. I mean he's yeah, I'm I'm friends with Grant, I see him quite a bit. Okay. And now a little bit about your, your marketing and where the brand is going. Obviously you have you secured quite a few draft outlets in KZN? Yeah, we've KZN's been fantastic. Um I mean we have over two hundred outlets nationally now. Uh Cuisine and Natal over a hundred. Um and we've got over sixty taps pouring. Um but uh probably at about and it's it's a changing number literally by the day in terms of new new outlets coming on board. But standalone restaurants, some of which pour more than one tap, um, we've probably got about 40 at this stage in Kwazulu Natal, which is pretty good in Kwazulu Natal. Yeah, very good. Uh, and climbing fast in Joburg, probably um, climbing up to about 25 to 30 in Joburg already. Um, and the rest of the country also some great growth in the in the on consumption space. I mean, we definitely we see the value of being uh, a strong brand within the on-consumption space because that's where you build brand yeah. um, and then a big target of ours is the off-consumption space um, to to have product in bottles accessible to everybody yeah you obviously got some some investors from the retail space and uh, does that help yes but i think it you, you know it does help that we have investors that are, are 
big players in the retail space, but in the end, your brand has to stand on its own. And I think it's about your brand story, what you can offer and the quality of your product. And, um, we, one thing we're a hundred percent confident about is that the quality of our product is excellent. And, um, and we know from the response that the, that the brand is interesting to people. And I think those are the two factors that we need to work hard on to, to get the brand out there and to get the product onto people's lips. Yeah, and who's drinking your beers? Um, it's everybody's drinking our beers. I mean, women love our beers. Uh, men love our beers. Black people, white people. We don't. We, we one thing for sure is that we want to be a beer for all South Africans. Mm. Um, and craft beer, yes, it does play in the upper LSM group specifically, but um, but it's certainly. I think it's important to position a brand in South Africa that it appeals to the broad spectrum of customs and cultures yeah. you don't really want to be only interested you don't, you don't want to have the the hipster crew only drinking your beer because sure. that represents such a small part of the of the consumer group out yeah. there for me i mean personally i find it i mean if i'm going to drink a lager i might as well drink a, a mainstream lager because the price difference is so big but then when i suppose when you're sitting in a pub and there's an opportunity to drink a nice lager you always tempted to do that um, do you find that as well? Um, I don't know. The Bird Lager, it sells a lot of volume in bottle stores. Okay. So I, in, in no disrespect to the yeah. major brands out there, but I honestly have not drunk a commercial beer for eight years. And I, I, if I'm at a, an event somewhere and there's only commercial beer, lager, I'll drink wine or spirits instead. I, I, I can't drink it. Whereas our beer and other lagers, craft lagers on the market, I can drink them. Um, and what would you, I mean... Oh. There's a richness to craft yeah. beer that you don't get in commercial beer. So commercial beer, it can be award-winning, it can be fantastic beer, but it's thin compared to craft beer. <laughs> it is. And, 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 and maybe it's the malt content. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's the amount of product that goes into making mm craft beer and the the malt bill you know how much you prepared to spend on the ingredients going in and and I, yeah i i like beers that have that taste behind them that you can tell they've got a, a, a an expensive malt bill yeah and and i think that the, the difference is also that that you probably don't drink a case of beers i mean if you if you're going to drink beer for the taste you're yeah. probably not a you're not going to hammer down a six-pack or, or nine beers, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Look, I, we, we probably are going to bring out a, a more of a mass market lager at some stage. Uh, we've already got it. It'll be called Durban Poison. I've, I've already actually trademarked the name. <laughs> and, and I think that would be a perfect name for a mass market lager. Yeah. Okay. So we we've got that on the cards, but it's not something we're rushing into. It's mm. uh, we want to build the brand. You know, you once we've got legitimacy around the authenticity and we are a, an established brand, then we can use that brand to to go to the mass market. Mm. But at the moment, we don't want to waste our time on the mass market. Yeah. Okay. So my I mean my message is always to new brewers and, and people looking into the beer industry: please don't build another brewery, and you haven't done that, and. And the second thing I always say is we need more brew pubs or and not even brew pubs. I mean, somebody phoned me from Freight the other day and I said, 
you've got to build the beer culture before you can even open a brew pub. You must start with a beer pub. Yeah. Um, are you planning to open anything? Definitely. Um, uh, in fact, we're in discussions with Bruce Rankin at the moment around okay. a potential project in lifestyle. They've got a really great, exciting, yeah. um, I don't know if you know about it, but project they're busy working with. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that's going to go ahead, but we're certainly looking at opportunities to create some kind of outlet. And I think it's important for people to go somewhere where they can live the brand. Um, yeah. I think that's a wonderful idea. I mean, I've been uh, not talking to Bruce himself, but uh, but to his team, and I've been thinking, you know, who which brand actually belongs into that center because it, it I think it's a real, it'll be a, a a really exciting project to have something like that in in the lifestyle center. Um, I mean. I can remember clearly flying down to Cape Town and the first stop was always, oh, I was always aiming at the Paulana and the waterfront. Mm. And, you know, when that dis- disappeared for me, Mitchell's couldn't, I mean, it didn't quite give me the same feeling as the as the Paulana on the waterfront. Maybe it's my German heritage, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I certainly think that something like that would would do well for yeah. Oh, we had the perfect site. Eh? Yeah. We were going for it. We actually put an offer for the building. I don't know if you you might have recognised it, but on on the Amgani River, there's a building. It's it was called um, Dally's, which Jeez. was an old building Up that made hill. yeah. And yeah. and for ages there've been different businesses there. Stealth Canoes was there. Wasn't Tuli was yeah. there. And we wanted that building, and yeah. we put an offer in for that building, and we we're going to turn that building into the kick-ass yeah. destination brewery. But, yeah, unfortunately, we never managed to get it. Okay. I think a church bought it of all yeah. people in the end. Um, and it's a brilliant, brilliant site. Um, we we're going to collaborate with 031 Distillery there for them to build. We're going to split it between ourselves and them and Dean Jane, the architect uh, who did the line match factory. Okay. So we had a great team, and we were ready. But yeah, unfortunately, the owner wanted more than our um, our funders were prepared to pay for it, <laughs> and legitimately, they I mean they know the business, yeah. So it didn't happen, but we we are looking. Yeah, and I mean, the, just in terms of the beer culture in Durban, I think everybody thinks we we way behind. We're not. I mean, we've got some wonderful beer destinations. Um, Robson's on point is is I think is, is doing doing a good thing for. For beer in Durban, that brewing company at S forty three. Absolutely, and Toti. I mean, those guys. Toti is lovely. I mean, if if you ever, if anybody is in Durban, you must visit Toti mm. Brewery, and they're on the Alova River there. Yeah, that's a great site. It's a good family kind of space. Mm. Um, but of course, yeah, Nottingham and Peter and his team. I mean, they course, yeah. hats off to them. They've been around the longest, and they yeah. they they've got a great operation there. And I think the more Peter always says, we must get more breweries into the Midlands. I think we we need more brew pubs and more destinations yeah. with beer in in KZN. And I mean, I'm I'm so envious of Pretoria. I think at the moment Pretoria is really rocking. Uh, Pretoria East, they've got the Belgian Triple, which specialises in in those Be- Belgian ales and imports all those uh, lovely. I mean, obviously the V&A with with. Uh, what is it called? Uh, the Belgian restaurant on the V&A. I mean, they yeah, also also bring in those. Wa- yeah, they bring in lovely beers, but they make their own beer now as well. They do, yes. Um, so, is there anything that that you know of that's happening besides Republic moving to opening up in, in Hillcrest? 
No, 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 no. I, I mean, I mean, there's there's places like um, the Shed in Salt Rock, which yeah. have been fantastically successful. Um, okay. So I, I think that there's a growth of places that people, especially places like the Shed, obviously Republic, and they're opening their new place. Um, Dropkick Murphys have got a great beer culture. Okay. Um, S43 places like Unity. Yeah. So there, there are enough. And Robson's, there are enough places that are mm. that are developing a sort of a destination for people that want to go and drink a good beer, um, and I think more will come. You know, interestingly, we've just we're busy doing an event in Cape Town with Banana Jam, Greg Casey, mm-hmm. which was one of the first sort of Cape Town beer draft beer outlets, and they have you know with multiple taps. I'm not talking about places that have one or two taps. Mm. And um, Greg says it's changed because. In the early days, when you were one of the first places, you were really popular. A lot of people have started places. So it's created a bit of a challenge because now they're in Cape Town. There are quite a few places that have multiple taps that are real beer destination places. Um, and what someone like Greg's done is he's moving more to bring his own beer, Afro-Caribbean, yeah. um, which is understandably a smart move. Um, but he still does have guest taps, and you know, mm. we, we're on there at the moment. So I, I expect that it moves in that kind of cycle. Yeah. What what I don't really like is, and obviously they're free to do it, but outlets that start creating house brands, yeah, and they get a they create a brand which they sell through their own restaurant, um, which is contract brewed through someone else. And personally, I don't really see the sense of it because I know how hard it is to build a brand, yeah, and I don't see the point of creating a house brand which. You only really sell in your outlet. If you do want to take it to other outlets, you've got to put the investment of time and energy to create a brand, and that is in a massive amount of time mm. and energy. And 99% of people that create a house brand to sell through their own outlet are not going to do that. Yeah. So why do it? You know, why, why create a brand unless you want that brand to be a brand that you take to market? Other than, yeah. yeah uh, I've seen that uh, at Mozambique, for example. Have you seen that? No. Mozambique has created their own kind of brand, and I think the culture of Mozambique has always been drinking Dojem or Laurentina, and now they've come up with okay. some concept beer, and I guess they could resell that as a Mozambican, maybe not. Yeah, look, it's uh, it, maybe it's exciting to own your own brand. Mm. Um, you control the sales of it through your own outlet, but you know if you contract brewing, you're not making massive profit out of it, okay. so... You're only really going to make money out of it if you take that brand to market, and um, and then you need to decide: am I am I going to focus on my outlet or am I going to focus on the mm, beer? Brand, yeah. And um, the one thing that we're very clear about is we are 100 percent focused on craft beer. We're not going to make GNTs or any other okay. derivatives of beer, or no John Deere's or and 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 I and we we get. We look at competitors who create multiple products, and we we smile because we know they're not focused enough. Yeah. And you, I think, the only way to achieve success in this competitive world is to be acutely focused. Yeah. Now, I mean, if I look at the success of of Jack Black, and uh, I suppose people like Michaela in in Denmark, who don't own breweries. I mean, Jack Black obviously now owns a brewery, and I think it came with a lot of stress for us. Um, I mean, I certainly know from my background when I was when I started Bavaria and KZN, I always said 
I was more successful in KZN because I didn't own a brewery and in Joburg where they had a brewery and they had those wonderful facilities of a tasting room and I mean the whole experience of visiting a brewery and doing a tour and then afterwards eating Weisswurst and having a, a, a thing I mean that is it's a wonderful experience but it's such a big huge liability to own a brewery um, and I mean obviously you agree with me but you still need a brewery to to own a brand or not? No, no, I, like I said to you, we, we are building a brewery, but we don't want to build a brewery until we can build a brewery at the scale that we need. Yeah. What we don't want to do is build a brewery at the scale we're aiming to at, which is a huge investment at this stage, mm. um, which is disproportionate to where we are as yeah. a business. And what we don't want to do is build a small brewery now, which we just have to keep rebuilding. So yeah. we'd rather focus our resources in on the right the, place. The so we definitely are going to build a brewery. Um, okay. But that'll be a scale brewery when we're at scale. Okay. And what what is a you said you launching? What are you launching? What what have you got planned for us? Or is there any surprises so, yeah, the that next, you can share? The next beer us? will be the Imperial Pale Ale. Okay. We're going to call it the Wedge. It's got a bit of a surfing association because yeah. Andre, there's a it's kind of gone now, but the Wedge was a surf spot in line with the old what they call the West Street Groin in Durban. So it's yeah. got a famous sort of history of localism amongst the surf community in Durban. Um, and then the, the other wedge, which is the most famous wedge, is at Newport Beach in, uh, in California, which is a really famous death-defying wave that, um, that breaks next to the Newport Harbor. And the reason we're calling it the wedge is because uh, it's going to be an American-style Imperial Pale Ale, uh, and because we the Imperial Pale Ale is the beer on the west coast of America. It is the biggest selling, the most popular beer amongst mm. everyone. In fact, that style of beer has driven the craft beer growth globally. So if you say Imperial Pale Ale versus an IPA? Yeah, so just taking the the, the malt and so the hop the, content up to another so level. So it's a double, double APA or what? Uh, I call it a triple. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's a strong beer. That's and what sort of hops will, will that have? Um, or what are you playing with? I, I don't know. I'm okay. not sure at this stage. Yeah. It's not. We haven't even started okay. playing with the beer, making the beer. But it, uh, look, I'm drinking a lot of of different beers at the moment, trying to trying to get our taste around it. But yeah, I don't want to give away too much. It, no, it, sure. We want our beers to be unique in their own little space. Um, uh, if you look at the tradition, uh, our different beers, they're all quite traditional beers. So the Bird Lager is a traditional German-style lager. Yeah. The um, Punk Rocker is a traditional English pale ale. The the Kiff is a traditional Belgian wit. And um, the other bird is traditional Czech-style lager, Czech dark lager. So we, we kind of we, – we try to make unique beers, but they also have a history. Okay. Um, and our next beer, which will be more a new age beer, the Imperial Pale Ale, American West Coast style yeah. beer, um, okay. is is not as traditional, but it's traditional in the sense of craft beer because that is the mainstream craft beer in the world. It's, I mean, craft beer has been the craft beer phenomenon started about thirty years ago in the states, and um, it's been driven by different factors. But at the moment, it's being driven by the Imperial Pale Ale, okay. the West Coast Ale. Yeah, that's super exciting. And in terms of 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 the the marketing, you say you've just secured a listing in in the Topses in in Joburg. Yeah, so in the South Rand DC, the biggest DC in mm-hmm. South Africa. Um, we've taken on. We 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 had a great um, 
a great listing into the individual stores, um, probably in over 40 stores up there, okay. just the top stores. Uh, we are in other uh, retailer stores there, like Norman Goodfellows and Liquor Boys and so on. Um, in Durban, also through a lot of independent retailers and some of the smaller groups, but also a lot of tops. And we're actually about to move into the Eastern Cape um, okay. region as well through the through the, the spa or the tops DC. Okay, and the Western Cape? The Western Cape is, it's it's kind of a vanity market to an extent yeah. in a South African context. Um, and it's it's because that's where the craft beer, although Rui and Brad were from Durban, yeah, um, they started a lot of Cape people Town. see Brewers and Union as a Cape Town brand. Um, yeah. And there are a lot of great locally born brands that have grown out of Cape Town and obviously that's where they, their hometown is yeah. and they have a strong base there so it's the most difficult market to compete in in South Africa understandably it's hard to go in as a brand from outside of Cape Town to say put us on because mm. they've got a choice of a lot of really strong local beers and a lot of our craft is local let's I agree, face it. 100%. so in that respect um, we want to be part of the Cape Town craft beer scene but we're realistic about that objective yeah. and we're focusing re- rather on sort of key places to establish the brand. Um, and we, you know, we have aspirations of being a national brand, um, but we, we're focusing on our home knitting in Durban. We yeah. really want to own, be the main craft beer in Durban. And I think Joburg is a massive opportunity because the playing fields are a little bit more level there. Okay. Um, there's some great new brands that have come out, um, brewed in, in Johannesburg, and there have been some that have been around there for a while. But as far as brands that have got the attraction of the the mass craft market, um, it's predominantly Cape Town beers there. So for us to compete there, at least we're competing against brands that are also coming from outside of Johannesburg. Yeah. Um, so that's why Johannesburg is an exciting market for us. Yeah, and then here you say you've secured... A good listing with uh, famous brands. Yeah, they've they've really liked our brand, um, and on the ethos of having a local craft beer in their outlets, um, they've been fantastically supportive of of giving us that opportunity. So we we yeah we we in a lot of the famous brand stores in Durban, uh, in the Mshlanga Village, um, places like Fourteenth and Chartwell Catch. They've just opening. Um, a new mythos over there, um, and they've got a couple of other restaurants planned as well. So okay, it's giving us a great footprint. And you live there. in Umsloti now? Is there anything in Umsloti? Yeah, of course. It's my hometown. <laughs> Everyone in Umsloti has our beer. Um, great place to go is Sandbar. Yeah, uh, it's probably one of the most unique um, drinking and eating places in South Without Africa. Parking. It's nearly like Camps Bay. Yeah, parking, but it's there's a great car guard there who always makes a plan. The thing is, when you're sitting at Sandbar, how many places in South Africa, in the world, can you sit in where the ocean is about 20 meters away yeah. from you? It's it's very unique like that. The whole of Amstrody offers that, whether it's Belpunto or Mundavida or wherever, Bush Tavern, you're yeah. right on the beach. And the rest of South Africa, that's a, that's a rare thing. So... And I, of course, lived in Umsloti before I moved to Cleve. <laughs> yes, I remember seeing you there one day. I moved there about four or five years ago now. Okay. Uh, I'm Durban born and bred, lived on the Berea pretty much my whole life. But um, moved there yeah, four or five years ago, and it's it's an unbeatable lifestyle. I mean, really, it, it's, it really is an unbeatable lifestyle. So, yeah, there you have it. Should we end it off there? Um, 
I think when next time you're coming to KZN or even in Joburg, look look out for the, the bird, the kiff. The other bird. The other bird. And the punk rocker. And the punk rocker. <laughs> and you'll definitely find them at your local spa. And if they don't know where to get them, they can get them from their DC. So yeah, and, it be and easy to get. just have a look on our website, mm. www.poison.city. We list our stockists on the website. Okay. It's not always 100% up to date. but It's hard to keep it up to date, I know. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Graham. Thanks, Holger. Nice chatting to you. Cheers, Cool, have a good day. Thank you, Graham. There's some wonderful lessons in that interview. Um, One of them keeps repeating itself, and that is surround yourself with good people. Find those people that compliment you, whether it's a co-founder or staff or investors, Look for people that can help you with what you're planning to do. If you have a vision, get people onto your team, get people to help you. And I just want to invite you again, if you are a brewer, if you're a distiller, if you're a brand owner and you need help with sales, um, feel free to give me a call, send me a message, and I'm sure I can help you. I look forward to seeing you in the trade.